This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. Can a creditor garnish all my income? So it's really important this segment to understand what creditors can and can't do when it comes to wage garnishments. A creditor threatening to take your income can Boy, oh boy, feel unbelievably overwhelming and downright scary. But Blair is going to explain how wage garnishments work, how that process works in British Columbia, and what steps you should take if you're facing the threat of or an active wage garnishment. So let's start from the very beginning, just in case somebody doesn't completely understand what a wage garnishment means, Blair. Well, a wage garnishment, when you get that threat, it probably means you're going to have a pretty bad day um, because typically this is the most severe thing that can happen when you're facing debt. Uh, When people receive that threat, they often think it's an immediate thing. It's a done deal for sure. They're going to get my wages tomorrow. And oh my gosh, what am I going to do other than give these people exactly what they want me to do regardless of the cost to myself. So what we want to do on this segment is really just peel back all the layers. There's a lot of complexity here. Um, You know, in some wage garnishment, doesn't typically happen overnight. Um, It's usually more of a threat than a reality in many cases, but it does happen. And if it happens to you, it can be quite severe and there's things to know about it um, and things that you can do to mitigate it if it's already happened or to stop it from ever happening. So anyone that's listening, if you've ever been threatened with a wage garnishment or might be, you know, under that, that threat right now, be a lot of good information in this segment to hopefully help you sleep a little bit better and know that you do have some means to defend against it. Uh, so what we're talking about when we say wage garnishment, it's sometimes called a garnishee or a wage assignment or attachment. It's It's a legal court order that says to a creditor that they now have the right to collect a debt from you by seizing part of your income. And sometimes it's beyond that. It says you can not only seize the income, you can also seize money from sources that could include a bank account, um, an income tax refund or your incoming GST, HST credits, uh, could be investment proceeds, could be rental or lease payments, or could even be an insurance claim. You know, benefits could be intercepted there if a creditor has a legal right to do so. So if a creditor follows the legal steps, um, it, they would have the right to intercept funds. Um, and a wage garnishment can be undertaken by virtually any creditor, including an individual that you owe money to. If they go through the right steps, they can have the standing um, to garnish wages. Uh, very common consumer creditors, this is where we see just about all of the threats and those few that are followed through on are typically with individual consumer creditors like a bank, a credit card company, uh, payday loans or things like that. Um, other government bodies like Family Management Enforcement, uh, FMEP, or sorry, Family maintenance enforcement um, in BC or Canada Revenue Agency and CRA, they could be collecting for debts like tax debt, student loan debt, uh, even CERB overpayments or EI overpayments and penalties. Um, Now beyond 
wage garnishment, there's also a tactic called a bank account freeze, which is generally exclusively done by CRA. And this is a little bit less severe, but the impact is still quite drastic. A bank account freeze means that CRA essentially locks up your bank account. The money is still there, but you can't access it. And they usually do that to get your attention to say, okay, you haven't filed taxes in five years. Nothing that we're doing seems to make any difference. So we're going to basically cut you off from your funds. And then hopefully you're going to phone us and figure out why. And that can be a pretty effective way to get someone to file taxes, but obviously quite shocking to the individual. So a lot to know there about wage garnishment, but essentially it allows a creditor to intercept your money before it comes to you to take it to pay debt, regardless of how that might leave you in a very tough financial situation. Now, you talked about uh, Canada Revenue Agency and everybody else. So there's different rules. Uh, what does a, a, a regular creditor have to do to start a wage garnishment? And this is really important, folks, because this is where there's some time allowed. You get some time yeah. here to take some action. Yeah, the biggest thing is that nobody can garnish your wages unless it's the government. That's the exception here. But no individual consumer credit or anybody other than a government body can garnish your wages or seize any assets without a court order. So when someone phones me frantic, and it happens quite a bit, saying, you know, I got this collection letter, or this collector told me, you know, they're going to court today, they're going to have a garnishment order tomorrow. I'm telling them, you know, that is fiction at this point. If there's a court proceeding, you have to be served with documents. You have at least 21 days to respond. Um, you know, the courts are pretty good in BC, but they're not that good. You get in there the next day after you apply. There's typically a delay of, call it a couple of months, where someone sees this coming before. So before a creditor can actually garnish your wages, they actually need two court orders. So the first is a court judgment against you called a payment order. And all this does is it confirms that you actually owe the debt. So I tell folks, you know, you generally want to show up to these things. But, you know, if you borrowed the money, you're going to lose the payment hearing because, of course, they're just saying this is a valid debt. Uh, once the creditor has this judgment against you, the second order is called a garnishing order, which then requires a third party who owes you money, which in most cases is your employer, to make payments directly to the creditor. And for every time the creditor wants to do this, they have to make that court application. So it's actually quite a costly thing for creditors to do. Um, you know, it's not the case they make one court application, they get your wages for the rest of your life. Um, oftentimes they have to make repeated successive court applications, each of them with a cost. So if it's a very high income earner and they can see the value in doing it, they might do so. Uh, but folks who aren't earning a whole lot of income, sometimes the cost benefit just isn't there for a creditor to incur all, all of these legal costs um, to go and get a garnishy order. Um, what happens when a garnishee starts is typically your employer's payroll department is going to receive a garnishing order from the creditor that's going to tell them they have to withhold funds from your paycheck and send them directly to the court. Um, and then typically the, the creditor will get the money paid out of court. Uh, it's still possible if you're self-employed, if you're saying, okay, well, I don't have a payroll department, I don't have an employer, I can't be garnished. No, it is possible um, that a creditor could get an action to go directly to your clients and say whatever money they owe to you as the person that provided the service, um, either some percentage or all of it um, can be redirected to the creditor. So they can garnish from your clients as well. Um, you know, a garnishee can continually be renewed until either uh, the debt is paid off in full or until someone takes some drastic steps to have it adjusted. And a couple things that you can do is you can apply to court to say that whatever amount that they've allowed, and typically it's, you know, 30% of your wages, saying, well, that's just not okay. That puts me into undue hardship and the court might see, see some wisdom in that. Um, or filing a formal proceeding, either a bankruptcy or a proposal, um, those stop garnishees dead in their tracks. So it basically stops this proceeding at any point that it's at.
So if you already know that you want to take some action, give Sands & Associates a call. It's 1-800-661-3030. It's a toll-free number. And they'll help you figure out your next steps when dealing with your debt situation. How much of the, your income can a creditor take, Blair? Yeah, in most cases in BC, it's 30% of your net income after your payroll deductions um, could be garnished, um, but it can vary from province to province. So in BC, it's around 30%, um, but there can be some exceptions to this. So Canada Revenue Agency, um, as I was mentioning before, they can shortcut many of the things that I've just described to you. They don't need to apply to court. They don't have to get the garnishing order. Um, they can just decide to start um, garnishing wages very quickly. Usually they don't do it with no notice to you, um, but it is possible you might be surprised by a garnishee order from CRA uh, if you haven't been, you know, answering the mail, answering the phone and things like that. So any provincial limits like the 30% in BC, that doesn't apply to Canada Revenue Agency. It also doesn't apply to family maintenance enforcement. So things for support uh, or alimony, um, those aren't limited to just 30% of your income. Um, up to 100% of income earned through self-employment can be garnished. So what we talked about a requirement to pay where they go to your clients and say, instead of paying you, um, pay the creditor instead, that's typically at 100%. Um, government income, things like CPP, OAS, um, GIS, employment insurance, social assistance, those are typically safe from being garnished. So first off, it'd be very rare for a creditor to decide to sue somebody if they're just receiving, you know, social assistance or government benefits. You know, they'd likely be laughed out of court. Uh, but the exception to that is Canada Revenue Agency. And I've seen Canada Revenue Agency take up to 100% of someone's pension income because there was a significant tax debt the person hasn't dealt with in a long time. And I was, you know, thinking, well, how do they expect the person to live? And the answer is they expect this garnishee is going to push the person to take some steps. They don't expect to have 100 present garnishy until they're paid off. They just need to get something moving forward. So they really take the drastic step of cutting off the income and really forcing the person to take something to deal against the garnishy. So, and just a quick little question here. What happens if it's everything is in joint accounts? How does that impact somebody, uh, a CRA or anyone else taking action? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. We get that a lot. So if it's a standard creditor, not CRA, and have, they have to apply to court, um, they would need to have a judgment against both account holders for them to be able to garnish you that money. So if just a husband and wife, money's in the joint account and only one person owes the debt, quite often the creditor would not be successful in getting money uh, and getting a garnishing order to seize from the bank account. They would probably just try to seize wages from the person who actually owes the money. Uh, exception to that is Canada Revenue Agency. Again, the government, they can write the rules, whichever way they want, um, they are able to, and quite often do, um, seize funds from a joint bank account. Uh, could you make an argument to them that the funds weren't yours? Well, maybe, but you know, good luck uh, fighting City Hall sometimes. So uh, just be aware if it's a joint account yeah. and it's a tax debt, uh, it is at risk of seizure. Okay. So what can I do to prevent any of this from happening or any of the wage garnishment happening? Uh, is there anything I can do? Even if it's already started, what are the things that I can do? Yeah, definitely a few things you can do. So, you know, one is you can apply to court to have the garnishing order set aside. It basically means that it's released. If you can prove to the court that the order is causing you serious financial hardship 
or that it's not necessary to ensure the payment of the debt. Um, kind of a, a two-part test there. Uh, you can also ask the registrar or the court official to increase the amount of your wages that are exempt. So in the province of BC, they can take 30%, which means 70% are typically exempt. You could say, well, let's increase that to 90. You know, I've, I'm willing to, to proceed. I know I owe this money, but I really can't live if more than 10% of my wages are being seized by the creditor. So you can try to get the court um, to agree with you and reduce that certain amount of a garnishment. But all that does is just, you know, again, reduce the schedule, reduce the timing. It doesn't reduce the debt at all. You still owe all of that money. And what's important to know too is that all of these costs, when a creditor is taking it to court, uh, making applications, getting orders, serving you with documents, um, they're running a counter the whole time and they're adding those costs to your debt. So the debt might even be getting bigger, even though you're paying just a little bit by all of these legal costs getting tacked on top of it. What's the most powerful thing you can do if you've got a garnishment that's either being threatened or in place is to seek the assistance of a licensed insolvency trustee. So either of a consumer proposal or a personal bankruptcy, both operate to stop a garnishment dead in its tracks. So the day somebody signs off on either a proposal or a bankruptcy, the same day we send a note to court or a note to CRA, we tell them they're no longer able to seize any funds from this individual. If a payroll department is already sending funds, we'll let the payroll department know they can now give 100% of the debt back to the individual. So there are options. There is legislation that protects every individual. If a garnishment is happening, it shouldn't happen for very long. I sometimes have people that have been garnished you know, for six or eight months, and it's just breaks my heart because I know if they knew about us sooner, um, they could have gotten a lot of help a lot sooner. So you can do something. You've got a formal way to respond, but you need to be aware of that and get the assistance of a trustee. And how you do that is give Sands and Associates a call and set up that appointment. It's 1-800-661-3030. Check out their website. You can also make an appointment through the website, sands-trustee.com. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. We're going to talk about some common debt solutions, uh, including ones that you want to avoid. Uh, if you're a BC consumer, and who isn't, there are lots of good options out there. And Blair's going to explain some common debt solutions that you might want to consider to help manage your debt, as well as some key points if you're thinking of comparing, you know, because there are a few options out there, uh, as well as what to avoid when choosing that debt management plan. So Blair, can you start by explaining a bit about what a licensed insolvency trustee does, if by chance there's one or two people out there in the universe who don't know? <laughs> Well, of course, and I'm sure anyone that tunes in could probably uh, say this, this next segment for me, but for anybody yeah. new, a licensed insolvency trustee is the most powerful, most qualified debt help professional that you could meet with in Canada. So it's the only professional that's regulated and endorsed by the federal government to help you access all of the great remedies that the government has created inside of the, the uh, Bankruptcy and Insolvency Act, but we're the professional that helps you understand all of your options and allows you to move forward. So an LIT can give you the powerful legal solution solutions that give you immediate relief in urgent situations, like if your wages are being garnished or if you've been taken to court. But there's a lot of reasons why someone might reach out when the situation is less urgent. And an LIT is the right person for you to talk about if you just want to understand, or the right person for you to talk to if you just want to understand your legal rights and remedies when it comes to debt, or even whether a debt is collectible, do you have something to worry about? Um, an LIT can help you understand what you can do if you can't pay a debt, if it's just in the short term, or if this debt is just never going to 
get paid back, what do those options look like? And an LIT is going to give you deeper knowledge and solutions for just about every type of debt, everything from credit cards, personal loans, payday loans, government debts, including things like SERB balances, which we're getting just a ton of inquiries about these days about pandemic benefits that the government suddenly wants, you know, some of those back um, and everything beyond that. So if you're having trouble with your debt, an LIT is your best ally to help you figure out how to move forward. Now, there are some options out there, uh, lots of options and resources that folks can access. I mean, besides everything and anything that's on the internet these days, there are other options for folks if they, if they want to sit down and, and find out or talk to somebody about it. Do you want to go over those for them? Yeah, there's a ton of things that, that you can do. And the great thing is when you meet with a trustee, um, a trustee is going to review all of the options with you, including the ones you can do just on your own. So there could be some things like, you know, you're going to make no change, continue on as you are, just with a little help with your budgeting. And LIT can help you review that. Uh, maybe there's an informal repayment plan that you've just got some small debts, you just need a little bit of structure around that. And LIT can help you figure out how that's going to work. Uh, maybe you need some support to negotiate with the creditors on your own. Um, or you just need some understanding about how does it work to refinance a debt? You know, you own a house, you need to access some of that equity to pay debt. So it's not the case that everybody that sees a licensed insolvency trustee um, is going to need to file either a consumer proposal or a bankruptcy. But quite often, if someone is knowing that they're not going to be able to pay the debts off in full, um, the solutions that a licensed insolvency trustee can provide are the best options that are out there if you do need to compromise the debt. So quite often folks come in and we start to look at, you know, well, can you consolidate all the debt together? And that's usually where people start is, you know, let's just see if we were to get a consolidation loan, would that help things? And quite often a consolidation loan would reduce the costs of your debt, but you're still paying the debt back 100% plus, you know, ideally a reduced interest rate, but still paying some interest. So when you sit down with an LIT, you'll review all of the informal and the formal options. We'll do our best to cost out, you know, everything you can potentially do. And if it is the case, you need the help with the legal options available in Canada. Canada, and LIT is able to help you implement those and move forward. So if there's any of those ideas that Blair's already talked about really interest you, uh, I'll give you the phone number for Sands & Associates. It's 1-800-661-3030. And as Blair has mentioned before, they have offices literally all over British Columbia. And if you want to go to their website where you can also get some more good information, lots and lots of questions and answers, uh, as well as you can make an appointment through the website, and that is sands-trustee.com. What about solutions, Blair, that would require working with some kind of service provider? What should, what should folks be aware of in these kinds of services or, or these situations? You know, it's a really murky area. Um, when you start to look online for what are all the different options, the people that can help you with your debt, you're going to see a ton of folks that are out there. And I'm going to talk about a couple different categories of professionals before we get to trustees. But please be aware, you know, this is a case of buyer beware. There's some serious gaps in the regulation. Um, you know, trustees are heavily regulated, but most other debt service providers have very little or very sparse regulations that hold them accountable. So you really do need to make Make sure you've got your skepticism hat on when you're looking at solutions that might not be available through a licensed insolvency trustee. Not saying, of course, that everything's a scam unless you deal with a trustee, but unfortunately, I've had the, the misfortune of, of meeting with a number of clients over the years who ended up just worse off, spending money that they just got no return back when they start to work with informal advisors that charge them fees. So a couple of, of options for you, uh, whether you're dealing with a debt help professional, one would be to consider working with a credit counselor. 
So what a credit counselor might be able to do would be to offer you interest relief from debts eligible for their repayment plans. So generally, you could try to consolidate your basic consumer debt. So, you know, things like your credit cards, um, hopefully your payday loans, maybe a bank overdraft. And the benefit of working with a credit counselor is most of the time the creditors will agree to freeze the interest. So instead of the debts charging, you know, 20, 30 or even 40 percent on a payday loan, you know, those can go down to zero percent interest and you pay back a hundred percent of the debt over a five-year plan. So in some cases, that can make a whole lot of sense for individuals, but we're going to talk a little bit later about there can be some significant limitations to this plan. And I've, I've hinted at a couple of them saying, well, if your debts are eligible and if they agree and, you know, usually they'll freeze the interest, there's a lot of wishy-washy in those words. And that's because there's really not anything legally binding that forces people to work with a credit counselor or to stay on that plan once you're on it. Uh, another class of professional that I would say you should definitely exercise extreme caution and skepticism when working with is what I've called a debt settlement agent. And what a debt settlement agent offers to you is they say, we're going to settle your debts. And for a lot less than what you owe, usually one account at a time by negotiating a lump sum payment that is typically less than the balance owing. Now, you might say, isn't this something you can do on your own? You know, phone up somebody you owe $2,000 to and say, hey, I'll give you $1,000 tomorrow. Well, yeah, absolutely you can. Uh, a debt settlement agent just puts a whole lot of structure and a lot of fees um, around that. Um, but what's important to know is that both of those uh, strategies, you know, there's no guarantee of success. Uh, when you're dealing with a credit counselor, the creditors often, but not always, agree to freeze interest. So you might have your most pressing debt just decide, oh, we don't want to work with that credit counselor. And if you have any government debts at all, the government will never work with any professional other than a licensed insolvency trustee. So no credit counselor, no debt settlement agent is going to get you any relief from government debt. Um, also, if you're dealing with someone that is not a licensed insolvency trustee, there's no ability to protect you. So if your wages are being seized, if you're being taken to court, if the collection calls are happening all hours of the day and night, uh, neither a credit counselor nor a debt settlement agent can do anything to force these people to back off to give you the relief that you need. Um, and then the final point is you've got to be aware of fees. So a lot of credit counseling programs that are run through not-for-profit organizations, which sounds great, but that doesn't mean no fee. So you will generally be charged a fee on top of what you're paying back on your debt. And if you're dealing with a debt settlement agent, those fees can be very significant. So quite often, the people that I've dealt with, they've said, you know, I worked with a debt settlement agent. You know, I was saving money to make my offer. I was paying them some fees. As soon as they had their fees, they made the offer and the offer was rejected. And then they just left me to twist in the wind. They did nothing for me. They had their fees and they moved on. Um, so definitely be careful if you start to see, you know, advertisements saying fast credit repair, government debt grants, um, you know, payback pennies on the dollar type of a thing. Uh, it's generally it's it's lies to, to just be frank so exercise all of your skepticism when you're investigating either a debt settlement agreement um, or even a credit counseling plan make sure you ask all the right questions okay and i'm going to put you on the spot just a little bit here sort of jumping ahead so we're going to talk about the two of the options that a licensed insolvency trustee specifically deals in but how do you get paid if these credit counselors etc and the debt settlement people get uh can charge fees how do mm -hmm. how does a, a licensed insolvency trustee get paid for their work with someone 
Yeah, and those are great questions, Elaine. That's something I'm happy to discuss with every client. Um, every personal bankruptcy and every consumer proposal in Canada is treated the same. There's a government tariff that says if you're dealing with a licensed insolvency trustee, here's what the fees are, here's all the costs of administration, and essentially they're borne by your creditors. So what I mean by that is if you offer a consumer proposal, and let's say you owe $20,000 and you're actually able to afford to pay back $6,000, so just under a third of that debt, which is very typical, um, all that you pay back is that $6,000. Within that, your trustee is allowed to retain a portion of those funds. Generally, about 80% of your monthly payments goes to your creditors. Roughly 20% is retained by the trustee, but you don't pay a cent more than what you can afford to offer in that proposal. So essentially, a trustee is never going to ask you for a payment outside of your payment arrangement with your creditors. They essentially get to take a piece of what the creditors uh, would get before they receive it to administer the whole process. Okay. And for Kim, we, we might as well cover off a bankruptcy as well and just sort of wind up this segment with the fee part of it. Is that okay with you if we do that? Oh, of course. Yeah. And I think these Great. are all questions that the people normally have. And the way a bankruptcy works is very similar to a consumer proposal. But in a bankruptcy, what you have to pay into the bankruptcy is driven by your income. So if someone is considered low income, and for a single person, that means their monthly income is below about $2,400 on a monthly basis. If someone files for bankruptcy and their income is at that level, they're not asked to repay any portion of their debt. They just have to pay a basic bankruptcy administration fee that works out to about $2,300 over the nine-month term of bankruptcy. That's payable to the trustee, and that's instead of making any payments on the debts whatsoever. So you stop paying your debts if you file for bankruptcy, you pay based on your income, and then the trustee is governed by a tariff that says how much of those funds they can retain versus how much gets paid back to your creditors. Okay. And in the last minute and a half, just if, in case someone doesn't know what a consumer proposal is, and we talk about these all through the show and, and stay tuned, but can you just give us a bit of a, a reader's digest on that? Yeah, you know, consumer proposals, it's one of the best ways that you can consolidate and cut your debt without borrowing. So it's a quite a, a, you know, a misconception. The only way to consolidate is to get a consolidation loan. No, you can achieve even greater benefits by doing a proposal. It's where you put all the debts together into a single payment. You stop all of the interest, never a dollar of interest charged, and you pay back what you can afford on the debt, which is usually just a portion of it. It might be as low as 20 cents on the dollar. It might be as high as 70 or 80 cents on the dollar every circumstance is different, but it's generally a significant savings over what you would have to pay if you paid the debts back in full on your own. Okay. And a personal bankruptcy, we all sort of know what that is already, and it's really not any different, is it? Well, in a personal bankruptcy, in summary, you know, it's not as bad as you would think it would be. It allows you to be discharged from your debts in as little as nine months. And we talk about a lot of other segments, all the details on it. But bankruptcy is a great option if a proposal isn't possible. So if even paying back a portion of the debt is not going to be possible for you, that's when a personal bankruptcy can be a great option for you to examine. That's great, Blair. Thanks very much for, for uh, sort of flushing that out a little bit while we stuck with the fee concept. I just want to remind folks you're listening to Dollars and Cents and Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. Making debt payments can feel never-ending, but being debt-free might be closer than you think. Blair is going to share some tips with us on how to prioritize paying off your debt and why this should be a top financial goal for all British Columbians. So Blair, as a licensed debt help expert, what are some of the top reasons you encourage people to prioritize becoming debt free? 
Every situation is different, of course, but there's at least three reasons I can think of, of why paying off your debt should be an important and a high priority financial goal. And let's just go through each of them. You know, the first one, this is just quite obvious, is debt is expensive. Um, anytime you borrow, uh, by definition, you're typically going to be paying back more than what you borrow. There's a price to pay for interest charges, fees, and more. And debt can get really expensive if you're carrying some of what we call the top offender debts, things like credit cards. Um, you know, they can be between 18 and 28% or higher on interest rates. Uh, and even worse, if you've taken some cash advances because you don't even get that interest-free grace period that, you know, typically we count on when we make purchases. Um, even worse than that is payday loans or some fast cash or installment loans, a two-week payday loan can be an annual interest rate of more than 400%. The mind wow. just boggles when, when you look at that. And so many of my clients, uh, they just get stuck into a cycle where they need a second payday loan to pay the first, a third to pay the second. And then suddenly you're, you're, you're juggling, you know, six or more or 10 or more payday loans and you haven't slept in weeks because you're trying to rob Peter to pay Paul. So it can just be a very tough cycle. Uh, even Canada Revenue Agents balances for tax debt, uh, they charge interest daily. There can be late filing penalties, um, diff different things that can really cause that tax debt to escalate. Uh, and when you're dealing with someone like Canada Revenue Agency, they've got more power than any other creditor to really hurt you, to start to seize your assets, seize your wages. So that's the type of debt that you can't ignore. Um, so you, what sometimes happens when you're in debt is you feel like your creditors are in charge of your money because you are impacted by their interest rate hikes. They can bump up your charges if you miss a payment and they can just add things on if you're suddenly over the limit you might say well, i'm over the limit because you charged me fees well it doesn't matter pay us and they just keep adding to your balance so the first reason is that debt is expensive uh, the second reason is that that stops you from making the most of your income. When you borrow money today, you're taking money away from your future self and often both in the short and the long term. And if you think about it, you know, if you've got $300 each month that's going to your credit card, you know, what else could you use that money for if you didn't have to make that balance month in and month out? And sometimes you end up with such a, a too tight budget or some challenges to meet your cost of living. Uh, and then suddenly all of your money is going to debt payments and you're not focused at all in your future goals. You might not be able to save for a home or save for retirement. Um, you know, we often caution that a credit score isn't everything, but if you have a financial goal like getting a mortgage or even a car loan in the next few years um, and you want to get the best possible interest rates, you need to be cognizant that if you've got a high credit utilization ratio, which typically means if your balance is $1,000 on your credit card and your credit limit is $1,500, you're at two-thirds utilization. That's a warning sign. Most most creditors or, or, or lenders want to make sure you're under 50% on your balances so that they make sure if you're going to get into an obligation with them, you're going to be able to, to make that obligation to, to pay it off. Um, and when you're, again, your money's going to your, your debt, you're not able to boost your savings, not able to put away that emergency fund. Um, so the second reason, again, is just the impacts that it has on your income and your ability to future goals. Uh, the third reason is just the stress. And we hear day in and day out of how terrible it can feel to be in a hopeless situation where you know you're just constantly worrying about your debt and for three and five people to reach out to our help for our help it was overwhelming stress was the the warning sign for them it wasn't they were being sued for their debt uh, or getting called you know 10 times a day somewhere and some weren't but over three and five people said it was just feeling stressed thinking about the debt all of the time and not able to enjoy their regular life so there's a lot of big reasons why being debt-free is a priority but there's just three of the main ones. 
Excellent. And, uh, you know, with that stress, you don't know, uh, often you don't even know how much stress you're feeling until it's off of you. And then you go, oh, oh yeah, I remember what this used, what this felt like before. I, I wasn't worrying cons constantly about one specific thing. So yeah, I'm sure stress plays a huge role. I know yeah, we're going to talk about, yeah, sorry, go. Yeah. I'll say just consistently from our clients, that idea of a feeling of lightness, of a weight being lifted. And so many people say, I didn't realize how much it was affecting me until it was gone. Because sometimes exactly. it's just, you know, the drip, drip, drip every month. It just, the burden gets heavier. And then when suddenly it's lifted, you, you just can't believe how much better life can be. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I know we're going to talk about some strategies that folks may want to consider to get uh, their debt, their debt paid down a bit faster. Um, I just want to remind you the phone number for Sands and Associates is 1-800-661-3030. They have offices all over British Columbia. Their website's terrific if you want to access them through that. And that's sands-trustee.com. So let's talk about those strategies, Blair, that folks may want to consider uh, in order to get some help, uh, get that debt paid down a bit faster. What are they? Yeah, there's a couple things you can consider if the debt is what you would consider to be manageable, meaning that you think you can get out of it under your standard income. You can just do a little bit of budgetary adjustments and you'll be able to pay it off yourself. Uh, a couple of strategies. One is to focus your extra payments on your high interest debt first. So make all the payments, all the minimums on your debt each month, but then you try to save money by reducing your ongoing interest charges by putting the highest interest debt at the top of the list for any extra money you have to make payments. So it might be a hundred dollars to three different creditors, you got an extra $50 left over, you're going to pay that to the one that's charging you 24% interest and not put anything extra on the debts that are charging you 18% interest, for example. So that can work if it's a small amount of debt, smallish relative to your budget and your income. Um, and just the idea of saving yourself the interest charges by not sprinkling all the money around all the time, making sure the minimums are paid, but really directing most of your money when you have it um, to go towards the highest interest cost debt. Cost debt. So that can be one strategy. Uh, another strategy is sometimes you just want to get some momentum and you might say, you know, I've got five different debts. You know, a couple of them are just for a few hundred dollars, maybe just under a thousand dollars. I just want to get those balances gone because then I'm going to feel like I'm, I'm making some progress here. So even though they might not be your highest interest cost debt, you might just want to focus your extra payments towards the debts um, that are you're just going to be able to eliminate within a few months. And then you'll be able to see progress instead of having five creditors you're paying each month, you know, maybe it's down to four, then down to three. So a lot of folks that we deal with these strategies, you know, they're nice in theory, but when they're saying, you know, I'm barely making the minimum payments at all, I've got nothing extra that I can pay on any of my debts. That's when you need to essentially bring in the heavy hitters a little bit, uh, which is to consider doing something like a consumer proposal where you can consolidate and reduce the debt. So rather than having to prioritize highest interest or smallest balance, a proposal is going to bring the interest to zero on all of the debts and then actually give you a payment that you can afford, which is hopefully going to leave you a whole lot more money in your budget uh, than you had before. Uh, it's, I don't think I've ever filed a proposal where it wasn't a significantly lower payment than what someone was already paying on their minimum payments. And in a proposal, it's not the never, never plan. You're going to be out of debt. Five years is the longest ever a proposal can be, and you can pay it off sooner at any point if you're able to. So it does give you a clear idea of when you can become debt free. And I guess the number one strategy for folks 
because all of these mean taking action. And I, I think that's mm -hmm. probably the most important thing. Hey, is to take some kind of action. And if you don't know, if you don't know what action to take, calling you would be, calling Sands and Associates would be right up there. Yeah, I think one of the biggest pitfalls that I see is people get a false sense of comfort when they say, I'm making all my minimum payments, you know, that's okay, I'm doing what I need to do, and their credit rating might look great. We call that the minimum payment trap, and it's as simple as something like a debt of $6,000, which most people wouldn't say is, you know, uh, the, the worst you could be. That could be 40 years of minimum payments, and you will have paid that debt off multiple times over based on interest charges. So it can be a realization from people to see that minimum payments are not designed to get you out of debt, they're designed to keep you in debt as long as possible and maximize the amount of interest that you pay. So don't have a false sense of comfort. If all you're doing is paying the minimum payments, you're really not moving yourself ahead financially. You're just making a whole lot of profits for the people that have loaned you money. And if you've been a listener to this show, you, we've often talked about how people hesitate. They wait before they take action. And, and this is a perfect opportunity. If you're feeling the stress and you know that you, you're in a situation that you need some help with, now's the time to take that action. Uh, just taking an hour to connect with somebody who knows about debt and how they can help you and with, with a plan to become debt free. It's such, so easy to do by calling 1-800-661-3030 and or visiting the website at Sands & Associates. It's sands-trustee.com. We're going to talk about expert tips for paying off your debt. Uh, focused on paying it down? Well, Blair Manton is going to give us some good advice and tips for staying on track or getting on track with debt payments and getting to that debt-free place. So, Blair, if I want to prioritize and plan something, anything for paying down my debt, what are some of the key areas to focus on? Well, certainly, Elaine, it's, it's really important as you embark on a goal um, of getting out of debt that you set yourself up for success. And whatever plan you put together, you want to make sure there's at least two things, the two components of that plan that are, are completely robust and you can rely on. Uh, one is that the whatever payments that you're going to be signing on for, they're consistently manageable and affordable. If you're going to sign on to make a certain payment per month, you can make that payment each month, you know, regardless of the season, things go up and down, you're sure it's something that can fit into your budget. And and that second, that these payments are going to actually move you forward. So it's going to be something that's going to result in you becoming debt-free, not something where you're on, you know, the hamster wheel of minimum payments, everything goes to interest, and you're just doing the same thing. You're making payments, but you're not getting further ahead. So both of those two components, make sure you can afford a payment and make sure it's actually bringing you towards a goal. Um, those are just so important to keep in mind um, as you're considering how to become debt-free. Um, a couple points as you're putting together a, a debt-free plan, and you know, if someone's thinking informally, um, you can do this on your own. Absolutely, this is a good first step for someone to see. You know, do I need professional assistance, or is it something I can just, you know, uh, work my way through a debt problem? So it's great for everybody to start with the first step if they're concerned about their debt, uh, which is we call getting your budget aligned. So the whole idea of creating a budget—a budget doesn't have to be a chore. <clears throat> It doesn't have to be a restrictive type of thing that tells you you can't do what you want to do. What a budget is about, it's about being in control of your money, um, prioritizing the things that you really want and making some informed decisions. Um, so if there are trade-offs, they're trade-offs that you're consciously making, not being forced to make. Uh, a budget doesn't have to be grand or complicated to work well. Um, there's just a few key components that need to be there. And the most important thing is you start by mapping out your income and then where and how you think you're going to 
spend it. You keep track of that in whatever method works for you. And it could be as simple as a spreadsheet. It could be a pad of paper. You know, people have various different ways that work. But what's so important uh, when you keep a budget is that you actually revisit it at the end of the month. You look back and say, okay, well, where did I actually spend my money? Because that's where the real magic is, is looking at, well, here was my plan. Um, Here's what life threw at me and how I reacted. And okay, is this a budget that's going to work next month? Are we expecting that type of thing to reoccur and adjusting that way? If you don't adjust to your variances, you're not getting a whole lot of value out of the budget um, each month. Um, And the final thing, you know, one thing that's important when you put together a budget is, of course, to consider all the regular things you pay each month, of course, the rent, the groceries, all of that stuff. But where people often get tripped up is around irregular expenses. So the things we know they're going to happen once a year. So, you know, it might be a car repair and insurance, a tax installment, something along those lines. And if we don't plan for those each month, there's going to be some lump sum that's going to be required. Um, And if you don't have the money on hand, it's often a reliance on credit that can happen there. So, you know, whatever format works for you, the important thing is to have a budget, to revisit the budget, and then to make sure you've also considered those irregular expenses, which we sometimes call them the budget killers, because you could be just going fine. And then, oh, darn, I forgot to plan for the property taxes this year. And well, now I'm on credit and that's just going to continue to escalate with interest costs. Okay. Um, if you already know that you want to take some action, uh, get a hold of Sands & Associates. This is their phone number, 1-800-661-3030. Of course, they have offices pretty much all over British Columbia now. And sands-trustee.com is the website. Can we talk about the rule of 60 as a, as a good way to sort of get a sense of where, where I am with my, with my debt or my budget or my expenses? Yeah, I love this calculation, Elaine, because it's so simple and, and it's intuitive and it's a really quick check any of our listeners could do. And it's a pretty good, um, you know, almost a gut check to say, okay, am I feeling okay about my debt or do I need some help? And what you do is you add up all of your non-mortgage debts. So non-mortgage, uh, non-car loan, not your secured debts, but things like a credit card bill, income tax, payday loans, you know, anything your typical unsecured debt to fall into there, a student loan, for example. Um, add up the amount of money that you owe and divide that by six. So if it's $20,000, divide that by 60, you know, your $333-ish, you know, is that something you feel that you could afford? Because if you're paying any less than that on your debts each month, you are certainly not getting ahead. You're just moving further behind. And if that is something that you can afford, well, then you know the only thing that's stopping you from getting out of debt within five years is the interest charges, because otherwise you'd be out of debt, but these guys are going to keep charging you interest. So then you can start to focus on, well, what are the tactics I can do to reduce or eliminate those interest charges. So it could be as simple as you approach your bank, you do a balance transfer to a lower card, if that's possible, perhaps you can try to consolidate things. Uh, For many people, when they do that rule of 60 math, they say, oh my gosh, you know, this is a number that I just can't afford to pay divided by 60 and certainly not plus interest. And that's when people gravitate towards something like a consumer proposal, which right off the top is zero interest. So the maximum you'd you'd ever pay is, you know, your debt divided by 60. Um, But it's usually a pretty significant discount on the amount of debt that you have because it's what you can afford. So it might be, you know, you divided it by 60 and it's a $333 payment. What you can actually afford is $150 a month. Well, by filing a consumer proposal, you'd be able to reduce the payment potentially down to that lower amount, which could actually fit in your budget and get you out of debt inside of the five years, rather than you just keep doing what you're doing. You're treading water, but you're not getting further ahead because all the minimum payments, you know, roughly 90% of them in many cases is just going to interest cost. 
Okay. So I was thinking that the financial habits that, that you think is important for somebody to take a look at bringing into their own uh, routine to succeed. Should, can we just focus on those uh, as we mm -hmm. end out this segment? Yeah, the number one uh, financial habit that's going to inoculate you potentially against having a debt problem is to have some personal savings. And this is no, um, you know, magic here. Of course, if you've got a, a sum of money that you can rely on, you've got a whole lot more flexibility than being forced to borrow because every time you borrow, you've got to pay back more than you borrowed. And depending on who the creditor is, if it's a lender of last resort, like a payday loan, for example, you might be several hundred percent of interest charges, which can very quickly turn into a cycle. So what's so important if you're building up savings is to have a purpose for it. And, you know, a couple of key things, you know, number one on the list, I would say is to have an emergency savings fund. So, you know, going back to when I became a trustee about 15 years ago, you know, this was a best practice. A lot of people were able to do it, accumulate a fund. Um, I haven't seen a whole lot of people in the province of BC lately. Uh, perhaps their emergency fund got used up during COVID, which was a certainly an emergency. Uh, but this is something a lot of people have a struggle doing. But it's certainly it's one of the biggest goals you can have is to start, try to have an emergency fund that could sustain your household for a good three to six months. So if you figured out if I had no income coming in, what would I need to do to support myself and my family for three to six months? That would help you estimate what's the, the size of an emergency fund that would give you some flexibility there. Uh, you know, other key savings, things like a holiday fund. So it's always the best practice. If you want to take a vacation, you know, pay for it first and then go on the vacation rather than put it on credit and be paying for it years after when the memories have faded, but the debt remains. That's not too much fun. Uh, you know, saving for retirement is so important. You know, company pension plans are fewer and fewer these days. So it just becomes an individual's responsibility to really get themselves set up. And then oftentimes there's some big goals. So whether it's a down payment um, on a property or, um, you know, a car or some other type of financing, um, you know, saving some money towards that, being able to put some money down and not having to finance the whole thing, which of course, not even an option in real estate, you have to have that down payment there. So just the goal of building savings, that's the number one most important financial habit that can really protect you against potentially having a debt problem. I just want to finish this segment too, and, and Blair's the expert. There's no doubt about it in, in everything to do with debt and ways to deal with it really, really well. But I'm thinking if you're feeling stressed or anxious about your financial situation, that's probably the number one warning sign to take some action. And if you don't know what that action might be, then this is even better. Uh, to give Sands & Associates a call. They've got offices all over British Columbia. I'm going to give you their 1-800 number, 1-800-661-3030 for that first free sit down to talk about your situation. And check out their website, sands-trustee.com. You've been listening to Dollars and Cents. See you next time. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.